I don't know when we're going to release this. This will get released sort of when it gets released. But I do want the audience to know we are recording this on June the 1st. AKA oh, fuck yeah. Pride the 1st. <laughs> the first day of Pride Month. Um, and we're gay as fuck. If you haven't figured that out by now, then I would question your critical listening skills. I was yeah, thinking so earlier. We, oh, sorry. There you go. No. What was what were you thinking earlier? <laughs> I was thinking about how I would describe the type of activities that I like to do during Pride. Because I am a fairly active Pride person now that it's somewhat safe to be around other human beings again. And I was thinking, you know, I don't really like the big sort of corporate city pride. I'm not really a partier, but I have distilled it down to a very simple phrase that I think is very cute. My pride, I like to do picnics and protests. And I think that is perfect and cute. And that's how I'm going to sum it up for the rest of forever. That's fantastic. Um, I had a thought today, just the phrase that uh, sat in my brain was man people don't throw enough bricks at cops anymore so queers get out there throw a brick at your local fascist um, and be relentlessly gay in the face of at least in in the u.s the rising tide of homophobia and transphobia make them remember why the suffix phobia is attached i love that energy well said that's that's the energy i'm bringing into pride month it's the energy uh, we should bring into every month frankly yeah so hey sam hey Ren. do you do you want to um record our podcast i'll think about it I'm busy. Right. I have this other thing um, going on. I'm gonna I'm gonna chat with my best friend, and we're gonna talk about Lord of the Rings. So I don't know if I can do that and talk about do the podcast. So, well, luckily for you, And the question, do I want to today, is a big question because we go on a fucking emotional roller coaster in the three chapters that we've prepared, and some things are really nice and some things are really bad. So we'll, we'll see how it yeah. goes. So, uh, hey everyone, welcome back to yet another episode of The Fandom Apprentice, uh, the podcast where uh, two gay best friends uh, talk about Lord of the Rings. And or any other queer media, but at the moment it's Lord of the Rings. I do it's like not that you have media. just. We're not talking about queer media. <laughs> I do love that you have just labeled Lord of the Rings queer media. It can be. This is a queer reading, a queer interpretation of Lord of the Rings. This is a queer reading. Yeah, no, Lord of the Rings is expressly not queer. Um, in it, in its writing, although man, the word queer gets mentioned quite a bit in these chapters. It really does. Um, yeah. So what we're doing here, if just just to keep you all up to speed, is we are reading through the Fellowship of the Ring, 
at the moment, um, which I read quite frequently as a youth. And Sam did not. So with that in mind, it having been sort of a foundational piece of my upbringing, I am, I decided to make my best friend read it. And uh, we are discussing it for all of your listening pleasure. Do we have anything else before we start to dig into the meat of why we're here today? No, I don't think that I had anything unresolved from last time. Yeah, I've got my notes. I've got my very legit copy of the book. I do, in fact, have a legitimate copy of the book. Uh, a big, big honkin' one. Um, I do, for the record, have a copy of the book that I paid for. I know. Oh. Uh, not that you paid for. I believe I think I got you this copy, didn't I? Did you get no. me this copy? No, you got me The Hobbit. I got my copy of fellowship at Barnes and Noble. Sweet. Anyway. Uh, so that was a rambling intro, a long way to say, uh, we're starting with chapter six, the old forest. So the first note that I have is Mary wakes Frodo up at four 30 because I guess he hates him. That's very early. Where, I don't even remember where they are. Are they still in Frodo's new house at this point where they're setting off? I think so. Yeah, they're in Crick Hollow currently. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mary wakes up Frodo at 4.30 because I guess he hates him. For you to be saying that, Madam Morning Person. I'm a morning person. I'm not a 4.30 morning person. I'm married to someone who has to get up at 4.00. But that's not a choice. That's an unfortunate side effect of capitalism. I like getting up early. And I could definitely see myself getting up at 4.30 for something that I felt was worthwhile. But generally, I get up around 6.30 to 7. Not 4.30. That's very early. Yeah. That's a little too early. That is that is when I would have to drag myself out of bed for my uh, old position at work where I had to start at six in the lab. Oh, yeah. And that was rough. Gang. Early oh. morning, gang. It was bad. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, waking up, waking up before the sun um, anytime, regardless of whether it's the depth of winter or midsummer, waking up before the sun is awful. Mm-hmm. Particularly if it is the summertime. If you wake up before the sun and it's summer, it's it's bad. Yeah. Um, and everyone else is already up. He makes a point of saying that Sam is getting breakfast ready. Even Pippin is up, which makes me assume that Pippin is not usually one to get up at 4.30. But- Pippin is, lest we forget... Pippin is an obnoxious teen. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think we need to remember that throughout this story, that whenever Pippin does something that's just ill-advised beyond belief, Pippin is a teen. He's doing his best. He's 28. He's, he's in his... We're 28? We went over this in another chapter, yes. how old they all are. But he is in his late 20s. He is a teen. Mm-hmm. 
And they're talking about, you know, um, who is it? I already forgot. Mary's getting the ponies ready. And there's a line about ponies being sturdy little beasts of the kind loved by hobbits. And that immediately red flag for me. Maybe they're loved by hobbits. They're not loved by dwarves very much. If the hobbit is anything to go by. I am worried that these ponies are going to die. And so far, in terms of the chapters that we have read in preparation for today, all of the ponies are still alive. So that's good. But I am nervous about the fate of these ponies. Yeah, you have played Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. So you know what happens to mounts and pets. Yeah. So just, but even to go out of the way and say that they're loved by hobbits, like, how much do you love these ponies? And if they do get got then I'll feel bad because they loved them. So we'll see. They will have served them well. The, the ponies are, are a good tool. They are good beasts who serve them well. But they, they set off. They are not all awake. I, I do. I, sh- I think we should note that that fatty bulger is still asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is Frodo's job to wake him. Um, and he's still yawning when they he's still yawning when they all go to set off mm-hmm. uh, so and they all they all sort of set off towards the old forest which is a very queer place it is a very queer place um, which brings to mind uh, the bar in the 2014 musical television show uh gallivant called the enchanted forest which was a gay bar amazing in the middle of an enchanted forest it was great i love that where the queen of all queens sung a big song about uh off with his shirt (laughs) if you have not found the 2014 musical television show gallivant and watched it dear listener you should it is ridiculous it is not good uh but if frankly i think it came out like just too early to be because it was still like on abc at like a time it had like a time slot Mm -hmm. right it wasn't a time when everything was on streaming and i think if it had come out as a streaming show i think it would have done numbers Get that mixed in with the super hulot girlies, that era of Tumblr and stuff. It would have been a smash hit. Yeah, I think it would have been fantastic. You would have gotten, I mean, you also had like so many wild guest stars on that show that you would not think this dinky little fantasy musical should get. But anyway, it's it's a wonderful time. The it little, did have Tad Cooper. Tad dragon. Cooper That's dragon. what I remember. Yes. Perfect. Perfect television series. Uh, Cancelled before its time. Anyway, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> the forest is queer and the hobbits enacted homophobia against it. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because I thought it was interesting. And this is another thing that gets followed up with more detail later but the stuff about the trees planting themselves near the hedge and the hobbits cutting them down and burning them and that there's all of this violence historically between the hobbits and the trees was just interesting that that little tidbit was planted for us 
we get a lot of history in these chapters. Mm -hmm. We end up with, yeah, a lot about the past, a lot about the distant past of the area that even the hobbits like clearly don't necessarily know. And Mary sort of is aware of because he lives next. He grew up next to the old forest Mm -hmm. and he's been before and he's sort of like acting like he knows his way around, but it, it sort of comes together that like he knows his way somewhat in the daylight. And these are there. This is such a first level characters chapter. Yeah. Where they're like, I know what I'm doing. And then they fail a couple of roles and then they're like, oh, I'm fucked. <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to sing a nice little song to inspire the party. Okay, make a roll. And then you get a nat one. Yeah, your song offends the trees and you get kidnapped. Yeah, but they, they stumble upon the Withy Windle River, right? Withy Windle. Say the Withy Windle. Fast. The Withy Windle Valley. The Withy Windle... Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> this is a good try. Good try. But the Withywindle Valley is the queerest part of the whole wood, the center from which all queerness comes, as it were. I'm going to touch on that in a few minutes because I have thoughts. I am fascinated to hear those thoughts when the time comes. But they get hopelessly lost. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they end up or they're less lost as so much as they are led astray by the wood. Yeah. The trees are closing in around them and they seem to be sort of shifting and changing in such a way that it's hard for them to get oriented. Yeah. And then they're tired. I was struck by this, this like sudden exhaustion. Um, this felt to me almost like the scene in the, uh, God, not the lion, the witch, witch in the wardrobe, wrong, wrong thing with lions and witches, uh, the wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. When they're in the poppy fields. When they're in the poppy fields. Yeah. So that was, that was what this thought was. And, oh God, I meant to look up whether Willow has like analgesic or, um, God, I should know what this know this word. Um, what's what's the word for sleepifying? Um, no fucking clue. You're the scientist. You know things. I am the scientist. Oh, willow bark is used to ease pain and reduce inflammation, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to knock you out. Yeah, that was a good thought, though. I feel like I remembered that somewhere. That it, I think, aspirin has a similar uh, compound in it to willow bark anyway but they they get put to sleep by old man willow who is a willow tree a big old willow tree right and they try and like hack their friends out or burn their friends out Mm -hmm. and old man willow is just like i'm just gonna kill them instead i kind of love this because it is a a time where the the company realizes that they are in over their heads. Mm-hmm. 
And they'll have sort of one or two more of these moments before they start being more cautious. Yeah. Right? They're still like, oh, we're going on an adventure. This will be fun. Yeah. But adventures don't always end well. You've all grown up on Bilbo's great stories of his adventure, but that doesn't mean that, like, Thorin didn't die at the end of that adventure. Thorin's Thorin and Feeling and Keely never came back. Mm-hmm. Not that they were coming back, but uh, they did not survive to see the end. And it's quite possible that not all of them will either. Yeah. I don't think they've quite considered that. Okay, so who is stuck? Because I did not take super close notes on this part. That's my fault. So who is out and who is in the tree? Who's team tree? So I think Mary so is Frodo, in the tree. Frodo is yeah, out. So Sam, Sam manages to not get caught. He manages to withstand the sleepifying. Mm-hmm. And then Frodo gets tossed into the river. Oh, yeah. And, and then the tree is... Yeah, the tree tries to drown him. Yeah. And then... But Pippin and Mary are sucked down into the roots. Mm-hmm. So as they're trying to rescue them, um, Old Man Willow is telling Mary that he will squeeze him to death if they don't put out the fire and stop trying to hack at him. And so the tree is literally punishing the hostages. And it seems like if our friend who we're about to meet doesn't come and intervene, the tree just kind of wants to kill them for reasons that are unclear to me I, I guess if they're just trespassing in the woods and singing mean songs about trees falling but it seems a little I bit almost, extreme well i almost saw yeah the tree is going to kill them for trespassing but specifically down at the roots the tree is going to eat them mm. that was that was sort of my interpretation of it was this is this being is old and dark and evil but more to the point it is going to nourish itself with your blood yeah and it probably doesn't get a lot of people no but it is utterly indifferent to your short tiny little lives Mm -hmm. and you being there simply just annoyed it enough that it's going to do away with you but then we get singing in the distance we get a truly wild tone shift. And as soon as this part started, I recognized the name. And I think that probably other people who, like me, are not super familiar with Lord of the Rings have probably heard the name Tom Bombadil. But I didn't know who he was or what his deal is. And I still am not really sure that I know who he is and what his deal is. But he is a surprise. He's an enigma. He is cheerful and also setting things right in sort of a he has that kind of personality that is very smiley and happy and sincere but you're gonna do what they say and things are gonna happen (laughs) the way that they say they're gonna happen in short order and so he's singing his very weird little song but the tree fucking spits them out and you know gets itself in line yeah and Tom Bombadil is sitting there. He's talking about uh, the river woman's daughter and the water lilies. He's bringing her 
And then, yeah, he goes and he orders the tree to spit them out in song and verse. And even his spoken word, because the book differentiates between spoken and sung, Mm -hmm. with spoken words being written as if they are just within the lines of text and sung words being separated out into a separate paragraph and in italics. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you can sort of, you, but even his spoken words are sort of somewhat in verse. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was listening to the audiobook of these chapters today, read by Andy Serkis, who we will talk about at great length when we get to the movies. Mm -hmm. But Andy Serkis reads a lot of Tom Bombadil's spoken lines still as sung. Mm -hmm. Um, Without quite as much melody, but still definitely a melodic quality to them. And that makes sense, I feel like. Yeah. So Tom Bombadil rescues them and then is like, here, come with me. We're going to go have dinner. Goodbye. And then... And then all of a sudden they're at, they follow him through the woods and they're at a house. A golden light was all around them. Um, Anything else for chapter six before we move on to chapter seven? Nothing really that we haven't already touched on, just his assertiveness and the things that he says to old man Willow. He says, you should not be walking. Eat earth, drink deep. Drink water. Go to sleep. Bombadil is talking. I just love that. I'm talking, bitch. Stop it. What bullshit are you trying to do? Really? You're trying to eat these hobbits? Come on. Stop. Spit them out. It's like when your dog has something in their mouth they shouldn't have. It's like, show me what you've got. Give it to me. Spit it out. Come on. Spit it out. And then you... (laughs) Your dog starts chewing faster. Yep. We got a text from our lovely lady who walks the dog yesterday or the day before, letting us know that he had eaten something off the coffee table and she didn't get it fast enough to figure out what it was and she felt so bad and I told her it was probably a chunk of beeswax from my sewing kit and I think that is what it was but sometimes it just happens and things eat other things but at the beginning of chapter seven my first note for that chapter in all caps is a woman we have one (laughs) we have we have a woman ish being who is referred to as a lady so i don't yeah, really know have, what kind of creature she is but close enough i creature, can't afford to be yeah. picky we have a creature that looks like a woman yeah uh and uses she her pronouns that's the best we've as, gotten yeah the fair lady goldberry so let's talk about tom bombadil and fair lady goldberry yeah, he seems to worship her as he should. But yeah, what is their deal? Because even after spending a couple of chapters with them, it, they just get weirder and weirder. Yeah, and uh, I'll just kind of point out that like that is the last of time you're going to spend with them. Like we don't get more Tom Bombadil and Goldberry through the rest of this story. Hmm. This is this is the Tom Bombadil section, which is why I broke it off like this. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Bombadil and Goldberry 
are not originally from Lord of the Rings. They're not. They first appeared in a 1934 poem by J.R.R. Tolkien uh, entitled The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, which is like four pages. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's an additional poem that was written later uh, called Bombadil Goes Boating. And both of these poems sort of detail Tom Bombadil dancing through the forest and encountering and having sort of playful flighting competitions with the denizens of the forest. And that includes Goldberry. That includes Old Man Willow. That includes uh, Badger Brock and the Badger Folk. Uh, That includes... uh, Little Bird and Miff and uh, Cocky Tom and Fisher Blue and Whisker Lad and Old Swan of Elver Isle and also includes a character known as the Barrow White, Hmm. who we'll touch on in a little bit. We will. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) Right. And so these are rather short poems, but... It's it's basically Tom getting into some trouble and singing his way out of them. And I, I mentioned flighting, um, mm-hmm. which according to Tolkien Gateway was one of the initial, was involved in one of the initial possible titles for Bombadil Goes Boating, about Bombadil having a flighting competition. Uh, and flighting is for those who are not familiar, a practice in... Nordic myth uh, that basically is good-natured, playful trading of insults, a war of words. It's a rap battle, essentially. Ye olde rap battle. Um, And so, like, you have lines where a kingfisher is singing to Tom and he, and Tom is, uh, Tom is on his boat um, which the Kingfisher refers to as an old tub. He says, Teehee, cocky Tom, mind your tub, don't founder. Look out for willow snags. I'd laugh to see you founder. Um, or I'd laugh to see you flounder. Excuse me. And Tom responds with, talk less, Fisher Blue. <laughs> Keep your kindly wishes. Fly off and preen yourself with the bones of fishes. Gaylord on your bow at home, a dirty varlet, living in a sloven house, though your breast be scarlet. I've heard a fisher bird's beak in air dangling to show how the wind is set. That's an end of angling. The kingfisher shut his beak, winked his eyes, singing, Tom passed under bow, flash, then he went winging. Dropped down, jewel blew a feather, and Tom caught it, gleaming in a sunray. A pretty gift, he thought it. He stuck it in his tall hat, the old feather casting. Blue now for Tom, he said, a merry hue and lasting. And he continues to go ahead and like with the next several uh, stanzas, he just continues to insult the denizens of the river uh, (laughs) as they insult him. And he slowly makes his way through and eventually he makes his way to dinner with Farmer Maggot and his family. Yes. Who he brings up later here. Yeah. Right? As it's it's brought up that sort of 
he knows that Tom Bombadil knows what's going on in the Shire because he's friends with Farmer Maggot. Mm -hmm. Which is so cool. Yeah, and just so random and fun to have Farmer Maggot brought back as this increasingly significant character. And Tom Bombadil really hypes Farmer Maggot up in talking about his wisdom and his ability to see things clearly. And so now I'm just looking at Farmer Maggot like, are you secretly like a super powerful guy? I think he's just a regular hobbit who Tom thinks highly of. But it was making me think about him differently. Well, in Hobbits, people, I was I was rereading through the the prologue today, where it talks about concerning Hobbits, right? Mm-hmm. And it talks about how many of the big people underestimate Hobbits, and ultimately, that's what leads to the downfall of Smog, and ultimately will lead to the defeat of evil in this book too is they underestimate hobbits. Mm -hmm. Hobbits are not powerful beings per se, but they are persistent and they notice things and they pay attention and they're hardy and they work. Um, Anyway, but yeah, Tom Bombadil has had a relationship with this farmer maggot figure from quite early and so when Tolkien was writing Lord of the Rings he ended up incorporating pieces of that old poem into this character uh frankly actually reading the adventures of Tom Bombadil and Bombadil goes boating that is that character is utterly indistinguishable from the Tom Bombadil that we meet He even has the feather in his hat, which is noted several times in the book, referencing, oh, there he is with his hat and his feather in it. And so I'm hearing that and just thinking, oh, yeah, that's where he got his feather from. Right. He he won a little uh, ye olde rap battle with a kingfisher. Yeah. No Um, migratory bird act in in Middle Earth. No, but. Tom Bombadil and Goldberry, and we'll sort of get more, a little more about them and their weird abilities, right? Mm-hmm. They're not elves. They're not men. You did text me at one point. You were like, Goldberry's an elf. I was like, no, 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 she's not. Okay. But it was reasonable of me to assume that because she specifically calls out Frodo as being an elf friend multiple times and says, oh, you're an elf friend. So it would be reasonable for me to conclude that because the only people who we have seen talk about someone being an elf friend are elves. So me not knowing who this random person is, that is a logical conclusion to make. That's still wrong. She she calls him out as an elf friend specifically because of his talent with poetry and song and descriptive language, Mm -hmm. which is ultimately like what endears him to the elves too. Mm -hmm. Goldberry is a river spirit. Yeah. And I love the way that she's described because I think at first I, when I'm reading things that are very densely detailed, I can't really process it all right away. It just sort of washes over me. So the first time I'm reading all of her descriptions and I'm just thinking, oh, she is so beautiful. She's this really 
just incredible creature to look at and she has all of these beautiful clothes and cool things that are like parts of nature in her outfit and I still think that's true I still think she's probably extremely beautiful but rereading her descriptions she's also just strange she is very different from any other creature Mm -hmm. that we've met so far and you look at her a little more closely and just go wait what is actually going on with you (laughs) because she's not being described as attractive necessarily it's not talking about you know her she's not being objectified there's just a lot of things about her appearance because her appearance is fucking weird and it's enchanting and it's magical like the rest of the forest yeah so tom bombadil is a genius loci or loci in older latin um or i and i guess you could probably throw goldberry in there and refer to them as as genii locorum uh, spirits of a place mm. tom bombadil is the spirit of the old forest and the surrounding area we note like he goes into the shire to talk to farmer maggot but he and he goes into the barrow downs but he doesn't go beyond that. He explicitly refuses later on mm-hmm. to go beyond that. He is the spirit of the area. He mm-hmm. is the land itself, mm-hmm. which makes sense as to why, you know, old man Willow, even though Willow is, is some sort of malevolent spirit and there's definitely a malevolence in the land. Uh, it doesn't bother Tom. Mm-hmm. because he is the land that makes a lot of sense uh and some tolkien scholars have also compared uh tom bombadil to and finnish speakers you'll have to excuse me uh Vanamoinen, who is the protagonist of the finnish national epic the kalevala mm-hmm. and uh the comparison with with Venomoinen, who is a, a demigod of sorts, and Tom Bombadil, they're both the oldest and they're immortal. They live in a small sort of forested entry that they are in control of, but it's not like their land per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're completely fearless because they are powerful. They speak a lot in verse and in rhyme. Uh, They were here before and they will be here after. And their power is expressed in song. Um, This this power expressed in song thing is also another bigger part of Tolkien. Uh, Tolkien's creation myth for the world is referred to as the song of the Anur. Mm -hmm. The Anur being... A, a form of deity, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sung the world into creation. That's beautiful. I love that. So power in song is, is something that is deeply built into Tolkien's uh, worldview. Mm-hmm. This creature in the land, or this being who represents the land speaking mostly through this 
song of creation almost mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right. And later on, when we have a song that becomes an incantation, that also mm-hmm. makes sense to me because songs are in many ways indistinguishable from magic. Anyway, uh, that's my discussion of Tom Bombadil. Uh, now I am just quietly contemplating everything that you've said, which doesn't make for a very good audio medium, but it's very thought provoking. I I appreciate our quiet conversations, but unfortunately, for this medium, we do have to talk. Yeah. So um, uh, to talk, what what ha- what's going on now, Sammy? So they have a big giant meal and they eat as only famished hobbits can eat, which I am sure is just a tremendous amount of food. And then more things get weird. I feel like I'm using the word weird a lot today. It's kind of the only one that applies. So they all get ready to go to sleep and Tom is saying, okay, good night. If you hear anything weird, no, you didn't. Heart emoji. See you in the morning. And then you just stop and go, wait, what? What did you just say? Because I was very cheerful. But he says, have peace. Oh, no, sorry. This is Goldberry who says this. Excuse me. Goldberry says, have peace now, she said, until the morning. He'd no nightly noises, for nothing passes door and window here, save moonlight and starlight and the wind off the hilltop. Good night. And then just leaves. And I wasn't really worried about nightly noises until you mentioned the nightly noises. And then they all go to sleep. And everybody except for Sam has nightmares. And Sam resisted the weird sleeping magic earlier. So I am starting to get a sense that he possesses some special quality, some inherent goodness, who knows, that just makes these things kind of not affect him as much necessarily. So we'll see. Rin is making a face that is telling me that they're having thoughts that they can't tell me yet um but i did appreciate that my name buddy sam also sleeps like a log like i do because i have the special talent where i can just my head hits a pillow and i'm asleep instantly so he sleeps like a log i i generally can i fall asleep very quickly okay i don't i don't know if the evidence that you receive of me texting you late at night is always conducive to that but I I fall asleep quickly fair enough um oh I did want to point out my random interpretation here which we talk about sort of the withy window and the withy window valley being the center from which all queerness comes in the forest Mm -hmm. Tom Bombadil and Goldberry's relationships is queer. Tell me more. I, I don't know, but that is a queer relationship. And those are two queer people. I mean, I love it. I'm here for it. Partly from the fact that neither of them are mortal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so they just absolutely refuse to conform to any sort of mortal ideas of what a relationship needs to be. Mm-hmm. But I I got the vibe that like they might appear to the outside viewer to be a pair of heterosexuals in a relationship, but they're so not. 
they seem to have a lot more going on than that. That feels very, that feels like putting them in a very stupidly tiny box. Well, and if the Withy Window Valley, which, and Goldberry's the daughter of the Withy Window, mm-hmm. if the Withy Window Valley is the center from which all queerness springs, and this is a queer forest of which Tom Bombadil is the master, therefore, Tom Bombadil and Goldberry are very queer. They are the center from which all queerness springs in this forest. There's nothing anyone can or say can or should say to argue against that. So I I'm here for it. That makes sense. It's Pride Month, motherfuckers. Hell yeah. Um, Do you have anything else to say about the spooky nightmares that they all have? Because they I think they all have different nightmares. But it is. I think they all do have different nightmares, but I didn't actually write down anything about them. That's fine. They they have nightmares. Wait, I don't know if they're portents of future events or if they're just some spooky evilness of the land seeping in. But not really what we're here to talk about. We do get a lot of lovely descriptions of the garden and the landscape, and this very beautiful morning as they're waking up, and then. Maybe it's Tom in the morning who says, forget the nightly noises. And I really would not be so worried about the nightly noises if you weren't making such a big deal out of them. Yeah. Um, But it is. It's it's enough to get the hobbits off to what they need to do for the morning, their preparations. And... But it's it's raining now, so they're going to spend a day. I love this little slow adventure. They set out yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. I love this. Uh, by the way, hey, this thing's dangerous. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. 17 years go by. And then they make a whole big deal about it, how moving to a little house in the country. And then they spend a couple days at the little house in the country and work their way steadily out of it. They spend one day and then they go and spend two days with this spirit of the land. That's like the when you do a little bit of work and then give yourself a two hour break as a treat. It's we've done enough. Let's just chill for a little bit. I love it. It's so good. And we've this talked is about the way to have an adventure. Yes. And we've talked about Hobbit priorities before and that this is a group of Hobbits and they are by the nature of their quest and also by the nature of the kind of people that they are, they're going to take things a little slow. They're going to stop and enjoy food and they're going to rest and they're going to sing songs. And as we're spending all of this time in the forest, I don't know if this is necessarily something significant to read into, but I did notice that there were lots of metaphors about the forest and the weather being like a house with lots of discussions of the roof of the clouds, a curtain of rain, and bringing those images back repeatedly. Which I guess makes sense thinking about Tom and Goldberry as these forest spirits. This is their home. You know, the sort of hominess and this being their domain extends outside of their physical building. And that there is this entire structure of the forest that they're moving through that is operating on all these different levels and it makes it seem not quite as scary well and i also when when tom talks about what the forest was or when when the book talks about 
the old forest being sort of the remnant of ancient forests. It says to me that like Tom Bombadil, for all his power now, used to be so much more. Mm -hmm. When this forest covered much of Eriador, he probably would be easily the most powerful being on the planet. Mm -hmm. Right? This is just all that remains of his domain. And he is content with his domain. He is not seeking to extend it. He's not really angry about it being about it. The fact that that's all that remains. He is just, he is, and he will endure. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause he starts talking about, you know, histories of the world so far back that it, that no one actually has recorded these bits of history. Mm -hmm. right until Frodo finally goes who are you master and Tom says don't you know my name yet that's the only answer you know tell me who are you alone yourself and nameless but you are young and I am old eldest that's what I am mark my words my friends Tom was here before the river and the trees Tom remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn. He made paths before the big people and saw the little people arriving. He was here before the kings and the graves and the barrow whites. When the elves passed westward, Tom was here already before the seas were bent. He, know, he knew the dark under the stars when it was fearless, before the dark lord came from the outside. Yeah, that was the paragraph that made me go, okay, I have... I am somehow continuing to underestimate this guy. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, this is an extremely powerful being. We're basically, you know, we're being fed bits and pieces of all of this stuff until that moment when that's as close as we get to a reveal of what his deal is. You know, so I'm mortal. I've been here literally forever. Yeah. And I don't think the hobbits really quite believe him. Mm hmm. Um, because like they're talking and they're having dinner and then he asks them for their story. And so they give it and they give all of it to him. They feel like they have no reason to mistrust him. And then they show him the ring yeah. and he takes it and puts it on and is utterly unaffected. And this upsets Frodo. Frodo gets annoyed because Tom is making light of this very serious situation. And Frodo's thinking, well, listen, if even Gandalf was treating this like something extremely serious, then maybe you should be taking it a little more seriously. But it just doesn't work on him. It doesn't affect him. He can still see Frodo when he puts it on. Um well, and uh, I actually didn't see it as Frodo being annoyed with him not taking the ring seriously. I saw that as sort of the first sign of perhaps things to come with Frodo, about mm -hmm. Frodo and the ring having 
a struggle with each other. See, this is where your prior knowledge is giving you insights that I don't have. It is. And see, that's the challenge. We're not wedded to the idea of you having no spoilers for all of this, Mm -hmm. thankfully. But like, yeah, I'm trying not to necessarily give you all of the details of what is coming. But I think for a little a little tidbit here is we know that the ring corrupts what it touches. Mm -hmm. We know that Gollum is what he is because of the ring. And so Frodo being the keeper of the ring is also going to have to resist that power mm-hmm. that terrifies even Gandalf, as you said. And yet, yeah, and Tom doesn't care. He's just like, well, th- that's a fun quest for you. Uh, have fun. Rest while you can. Have some food. Yeah. And then, yeah, like you you said in your notes, um, sort of he teaches them a song, another song to sing to him, which uh, to call him, which again, songs as power, songs as magic. Uh, that's that's just a fun a fun thing to kind of keep note of. Um, and another thing that he talks about while he's telling them all of these very very long stories they lose track of the amount of time that they spend listening to his stories and i think the book mentions that they skip several meals which is a big deal for hobbits because they're so enthralled and he talks some more about trees and it says oh we're (laughs) we're in the same google doc and when i hover over your cursor your name like blocks out half of the book um Tom's words laid bare the hearts of trees and their thoughts, which were often dark and strange, and filled with a hatred of things that go free upon the earth, gnawing, biting, breaking, hacking, burning, destroyers, and usurpers. And that was a really interesting perspective on, I don't know if it's all trees, or the trees in this forest specifically, and the beef that they have with people, but... We're definitely getting a lot of malevolent tree stuff, which I'm sure this will not be the end of that. And he talks more about the Great Willow, who is very, very scary, and they got off real easy with him. But yeah, I think I think Tolkien makes a very big distinction between good and evil. Mm -hmm. Right which a lot more modern fantasy does less of. And I almost choose to read this as nature is not necessarily evil. It is just indifferent. Mm -hmm. It does not care about you. And it, it almost cares about you to the extent that like it thinks you're a nuisance Mm -hmm. and it will do away with that nuisance but it's not because it hates you. It's because it simply cannot be bothered to learn or care. You're not important enough for it to hate you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I, I think that's something that we keep seeing, you know, especially with this sort of Tom versus Gandalf comparison that we get. There's always a bigger fish in this world there is always somebody more powerful there is something happening on a grander scale 
And there was a quote that I wish I had written down. Something about, aha, yes. As they're listening to Tom's stories, as they listened, they began to understand the lives of the forest apart from themselves, indeed to feel themselves as the strangers where all other things were at home. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about, is that they are the outsiders, they are the intruders in this space, and the things that happen to them are natural consequences of their being there and the forest trying to maintain its own equilibrium and not be bothered by these hobbits stomping about inside it right yeah i think the there's always a bigger fish but at a certain level of power you are so far above everything else and the goings-on in the world um and for tom especially he is so focused on his domain that the rest of the world and the power struggles between all the major players don't matter Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter it's not something he's concerned with. And I think in this, similarly with Old Man Willow, it, they were in his space. So they needed to be removed from his space, the hobbits. And Tom is powerful. And as you said, he's probably less powerful now than he used to be. But he's not chasing power. He's not ambitious. This isn't the result no. of him having a smog like greed obsession trying to amass and accumulate things it just is inherently who he is and i think the inherent nature of different types of creatures or of different individual people is a big theme that we saw a lot in the hobbit and are seeing now about you know some beings just have a way that they are predisposed to be and that doesn't necessarily correlate to them being good or evil but if you are trying to reach for something that's beyond what your type of being is supposed to do or supposed to have that can work out well for you or it can cause some really big problems for you so I'm sure we'll see more of that and I have some more thoughts on that with things that come up later in chapter eight but it is, it is a theme that I'm noticing. So let's move on to chapter eight. Do we have to move on to chapter eight? I love chapter eight. I want to talk about it. Okay. Um, yes, I do. I do genuinely want to talk about chapter eight. It just has it's upsetting things that happen in it. But yes, let's kick us off with chapter eight. So chapter eight, um, they, they set off. It starts off with, that night they heard no noises. I don't know if that's they better just conf- or worse. I think, you know, they just stopped heeding the nightly noises and it didn't matter any longer. Um, and then they get, they get going and uh, Frodo is so upset that they didn't get to say goodbye to Goldberry that they come back to say goodbye to Goldberry. Yeah. Um, or they turn they turn around to see her and she then says goodbye to them. I got the sense, um, and this also might just have been me not reading closely enough, but the vibe that I got was that she sensed that they were looking for her and just kind of appeared, less so that they went back and found her, but that she was present and aware and went, oh, the hobbits want to say goodbye to me. Okay. And then said goodbye to them. 
Oh, I think that is absolutely fully the case. Um, earlier, they asked Tom Bombadil whether he was looking for them, whether it was just luck. And he goes, no, I was just there, basically. Like, it was luck I was coming that way. If you were, if I wasn't, if it was later in the season, you would have been shit out of luck. But I, I do genuinely think, and we, we sort of get later on, that he is just where he needs to be. And I think your analysis of Goldberry being the same way makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, she is not the same being as he is, but she's a similar enough type of being that that, that power is definitely within her bailiwick. Mm-hmm. Um, but they head past the Barrow Downs. And it's beautiful. Everything is beautiful. We get all of these gorgeous descriptions of the landscape and it's so lovely. But then there's also scary shit looming in the background, these big standing stones and just amplifying this contrast that we've had between this nice, cozy, beautiful, lovely woods experience that we're having, but also there's shit in there that can destroy you. Um, And then we get the the hobbits woke suddenly and uncomfortably from a sleep they never meant to take excuse me what yeah they had an unpleasant nap yeah and i don't know if this is i don't understand what the barrow downs are i don't know at what point they reach them and pass them and how that correlates with all of the shit that happened that was very confusing to me and you are so let's talk about the barrow downs this sparkle the twinkle that is in your eyes as you prepare to explain this to me i'm ready let's hear it so uh the barrow downs is sort of a group of hills downs uh is something that occurs in british english english a lot a lot of places are referred to as you know something downs downs comes from the word done which in old english just it just means hill Mm -hmm. i did know that uh and of course a barrow is a burial place i did not know that this Hmm. is a field of burial mounds okay um and we get a little later on sort of some of the descriptions of you know, what goes through their minds and where some of the treasure comes from, perhaps. These are the halls of ancient men, forgotten kings, the last resting places of these beings that fought in a war millennia ago. Um, And this is not out of place for Tolkien's world that he that he himself lived in you can see these burial mounds all over the uk and a lot of northern europe um mm-hmm. i have been in one there are different types of burial mound um but sort of the type that we get a description of a little later is a type of sort of chamber burial right there was a burial chamber excavated and then stone and earth was built inside uh, and then piled on top of to create a mound in which 
there was a chamber in which grave goods and a body or bodies were laid. Mm -hmm. And this is a type of burial that is found all over Northern Europe um, and in a great many other places. There are similar types of burial and a burial mound that you can see in the Americas, that you can see in Asia, um, that you can see in Africa. There are the inhumation burial is a very sort of broad uh, form of burial that uh, you can see all over, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Being standing inside one of these tombs, I, the the tomb that I had the opportunity to uh, dig into, so to speak. It was not actually doing part of an archaeological dig there. It is a it has been excavated and is now sort of available for people to just go in. It is a chamber burial uh, in Denmark. It's a five thousand year old burial mound from uh, the Iron Age. So the burial chamber itself has sort of a a low passageway and opens up into sort of this like this little hall almost lined by stone so there is a giant slab of stone over your head and stones a stone in the back and stones on the sides holding it up and at its highest point it's about six feet tall Mm -hmm. Um, at its lowest it's maybe three Um, And you feel like you are almost in another world when you enter that because there is so much earth and stone between you and the surface. It is silent in there. It's echoey. Um, but you feel like you are, you are within the earth. Um, and it was very cool to be in. Mm-hmm. And my my professor for the class that I was taking, where I where we were going to see this 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 site, uh, almost referred to coming out of the, or putting the body into the grave, and then for us reemerging from it as sort of a birth and reverse birth kind of experience. Mm-hmm. That the the passageway was almost analogous to a birth canal. That's really and this interesting. Dark, quiet space where a body would be laid to rest was much like the womb that we emerge from at the start of life. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting interpretation. But all that to say. These are tombs, which is why there are creepy fucking stories about them and is why we've mentioned previously in these, this section of chapters, uh, the whites. Mm-hmm. And the Barrow whites specifically. So white comes from an old English word as well, uh, which basically just means person, but later on sort of took on a, a more sinister connotation and usually referred to the undead 
Ooh, creepy. To Revenants and to Draugr. Um, and when I when I imagined the Whites, I was sort of imagining like a a ghost king type creature, a shriveled being in death, not a skeleton, not a zombie, but something similar. And frankly, the, the Draugr in Skyrim, if any of you have played that, that is, that's essentially a white. They come from the same bit of mythology. They're drawing on the same sources. Mm-hmm. So that is what we're dealing with here. That is what the Barrow Downs are. That is why they're trying not to necessarily stray onto them. But once again, sort of, the land has other ideas. This is an old land with old spirits about it that are not necessarily happy about people wandering onto them. Mm-hmm. So that's my take on on barrows and whites uh got anything any thoughts there sammy that all makes a lot of sense i think this was just a lot of words that i didn't understand what they meant and i didn't have any context to make sense of them so i was doing my best to sort of piece things together but i was mostly just very confused about what it was that we were talking about but now that you explain that it all makes a much clearer picture in my mind um But it takes a minute for us to really encounter the Whites because Frodo gets separated from the group in this creepy mist that appears and he's calling out for his friends. And then there's just a voice coming out of the ground that says, here, said a voice deep and cold that seemed to come out of the ground. I am waiting for you. Uh, no. Safety pro tip when traveling. If the ground says, I am waiting for you, don't don't follow it. That was very unsettling. And then he gets captured and wakes up in a creepy cavern. And at this point, all of my notes just turn into all caps with about seven question marks at the end of every sentence and no correct spelling or grammar because I was just trying to process what the fuck was going on. And there is another thing that we can get back to about hobbits having a seed of bravery inside of them and the way that Bilbo and Gandalf both perceive that in Frodo. And I want to get back to that, but since we're on this Barrow White's kick, I think we should continue with all of that. So so what are we continuing with here, Sam? Uh, okay, so he goes, he wakes up in this cave and has the sense to realize that, and, and by he I mean Frodo, um, has the sense to realize that this is a bad situation and he shouldn't make it super obvious that he's awake so he can take stock of what's going on. And he sees Sam and Mary and Pippin all dressed in white with crowns on their heads and surrounded by piles of treasure and they're all asleep and they're now from the description this is how I interpreted it let me know if I'm wrong there's 
from what I interpreted, there's one long sword across all of their necks, ready to kill them all at the same time. So they are being set up for some kind of creepy fucking sacrifice cult ritual scary terrifying something has not only captured them not only knocked them out but taken off their clothes and dressed them up in these creepy little outfits and what is going to happen it was so profoundly upsetting to me listen sometimes when you're a hobbit you just need to have a creepy little outfit um but this is not a fun creepy little outfit this was a forcibly assigned creepy little outfit i don't like it and so my my interpretation of this is sort of colored by my archaeology minor mm-hmm. um which was less that they are a creepy sacrifice and more that they are and this is sort of to me backed up by what pippin says after he is rescued right where he mentions the spear in his heart and um the the men of Karn Doom came upon came upon them in the night. Um I think they are taking the place of the deceased that are there. Ooh. Or they are giving new bodies to them, or they are they are somehow becoming one with the dead that are already lying there mm-hmm. they have been the the piles of treasure the swords and the shields that are at their sides the ritual clothing that sounds to me a lot like the burial of an important warrior that right? or a king sense. or a noble um in this sort of bronze age iron age tradition where you'd see these these uh burial mound style burials Mm -hmm. right um they also talk about like rings of stone surrounding some of them so that that almost seems like sort of the symbolic ship burials that you see in some places in the uk that were done by the danes and the norse when they came over Mm also sort of a form of of chamber burial where a a chamber is excavated in the shape of a ship as they're sailing to the next world anyway and then stones are placed around the edge to sort of mark out that like oh this is a ship shape Mm -hmm. anyway that that was what that sort of came to for me the sword lays across their necks but i mean yeah that definitely could be interpreted as fucking freaky especially when we get that incantation right what that i talked about the song that becomes an incantation yeah cold be hand and heart and bone and cold be sleep under stone never more to wake on stony bed never till the sun fails and the moon is dead in the black wind the stars shall die, and still on gold here let them lie, till the dark lord lifts his hand over dead sea and withered land. See, now that's, I've just had... Oh, sorry. You go, you go. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's upsetting. And I had this little internal pendulum swing thinking about my initial 
read of this as ooh creepy creepy scary sacrifices and then you explaining you know the interesting archaeological history and I just as a person in my regular life am very into death and very curious about death and the way that we treat it in our culture and the way that we respond to dead bodies and sort of this idea that we have that everything around death is inherently sinister and inherently very scary and that the dead body is scary and dangerous and all of these things and so I'm having my own little death positive moment of like oh actually it doesn't I mean it's still scary that they got kidnapped and put in this situation but you know maybe the thing that I am seeing this image is not as inherently scary as I'm making it out to be but then there's all the stuff with the dark lord and then it goes back to oh yes no this is scary this is very evil and scary and bad and uh yeah there's there's definitely some some dark shit happening and I think you know looking at sort of Tolkien's cosmology and Tolkien's uh very black and white sense of good and evil mm -hmm. right this we're meant to read this as evil and bad mm -hmm. we are meant to see death and the dead rising again as a bad thing mm -hmm. right there's you know as, as much as i love to read nuance into these things in the end uh token tokens writing is is pretty clear like we have our heroes and we have the evil creature that is imprisoning them in death yeah um but they are saved by of by of course none other than tom bombadil which almost felt anticlimactic to me because i really wanted to learn more about what was going on but at the end of the day they needed their asses saved and tom bombadil showed up so you know i'm not going to complain too much tom bombadil is the deus ex machina of these three chapters and then he will go away and we will need other things to save us from whatever trouble we get into and we'll meet more of them soon and I am going to humble myself for a moment here because I'm a grown woman and I don't actually know what deus ex machina means and I've never asked and I've never looked it up and I've heard you say it a lot and I think this is my moment where I have to admit that I don't know what it means and maybe people <laughs> in our audience don't know either and we can all learn. Deus ex machina means a god from a machine. A god out of the machine. Um... But what does that mean? That also doesn't make any sense to me. So it is the the idea is the Deus Ex Machina, the god from the machine, comes from theater, Greek theater, and uh, in which basically a problem, an unsolvable problem, is just fixed right by a character or a being or a circumstance that appears very suddenly and mm. without warning okay um and the the idea with that is like in greek theater it's very it's usually the 
the problem is fixed by a god who suddenly appears and in in theater would be sort of like lowered in on like a crane a machine the god from the machine or risen through the trap door and the stage or suddenly appears somehow on stage mm -hmm. and solves your problem that makes perfect sense thank you and if we're considering uh tom bombadil as to be a a, a godlike feature of some sort or godlike being of some sort he is literally a god from a god out of out of time out of place out of whatever you want to refer to it mm -hmm. and for for uh just to be be perfectly clear deus ex machina is latin um but it is it does refer to greek theater so yes tom bombadil appears as a god from a machine a god from the song deus ex cantus i suppose <laughs> i had in my notes after he shows up at least Chekhov is really into firing his guns <laughs> Because we had gotten the, we had gotten the, you know, use this if you ever need me, sing this song. We got that a couple pages ago, and then it's immediately used. So, okay, yeah, we didn't have to like, wait a long, wait a long time. It for was that. a dense couple of pages. It was. It was. That's that's ten pages in which a lot happens. True. And, and we've been talking about it for a half hour. So like. <laughs> And before Tom Bombadil shows up, Frodo has a little moment of bravery. He has his getting his sword moment. He has his first kill moment. Kill if it's undead, whatever. But there's a creepy hand that's reaching for his friends. And Frodo takes the sword and destroys the hand. But the hand also breaks the sword. But he has a moment where the bravery, that little seed of you know, essential hobbitiness sort of catalyzes within him and he goes for it. And I fully forgot. I'm sorry. Finish oh. your thought. I was just kind of trailing off, but you know, we have, it's similar to sting and the spider in the Hobbit in, you know, just having right. this moment of this first striking out literally. Yeah. I, I fully forgot that there was like a crawling hand. And I, I was reading that this afternoon being like, Oh, that is the worst version of the Adams family thing that could possibly occur. This is this is things evil twin. Yeah. And my my first interpretation was almost just like it's it's an arm it's like an arm attached to a body, but the arm is the first thing you see. And then it was sort of like, oh no, this is just an arm. Yeah, at first I also thought that there was some kind of creature, and I thought that it was weird that whatever big spooky being had done this whole ritual was just kind of reaching for them and then it becomes clear that oh it's just a hand right which which almost makes me think that my my theory about them almost being bodies for the spirits to inhabit mm -hmm. makes more sense yeah so if you're reduced down to an arm but there's clearly still a spirit there of some sort uh also excuse the uh, fire alarm going off. I believe my roommate has burned something downstairs. I can hear them going, it's fine. Uh, brief interlude. Anyway, the beeping is done and we are back. Welcome. Welcome, friends. 
uh, one and all back to this episode of The Phantom Apprentice, where we are talking about it's literally been 10 seconds. We're not going to, no, never mind. <laughs> anyway, um, what were we talking about? Creepy hand, guest destroyed. Tom Bombadil shows Creepy up. Creepy hand. And you laughed at my joke about Chekhov's guns. Boom, 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 as I make finger guns at, at my co-host. So bisexual of you. Very bisexual here on this first day of Pride Month. Um, you did want to talk about that inherent goodness in hobbits, and particularly in Frodo. Earlier. Yes. So I have, I have a quote, I have a line that I wrote down. So there's something earlier about there being this kind of seed, this kernel of bravery inside hobbits. Um, and, you know, even, in even, the most, the most, even in the most fat and the yes. most timid. <laughs> Brain cell, yes. So there's that. And then following that line, Frodo was neither very fat nor very timid indeed, though he did not know it, Bilbo and Gandalf thought him to be the best hobbit in the shire and ah, there's so so many feelings that's very sweet stab me in the heart and when i was done being emotional about that i was thinking okay what is it about frodo that makes them think that because you know both bilbo and gandalf are people who have seen a lot who have the ability to you know judge character very accurately so what is it that they're seeing in Frodo despite his lack of life experience that makes them so sure that he is the best hobbit in the Shire and I kind of unironically think that it might be the magic of friendship we'll see obviously we're still very in the beginning of this and I kind of talked about it with Sam earlier as well seeming to have some inherent goodness about him and i i don't know what it is i could be wrong but i kind of feel like that might be it he just seems to be somebody who's capable of a lot of love and a lot of compassion and really strong relationships and you know being able to have a good head on his shoulders and i think it might be the magic of friendship could be wrong all right i don't know but i'm willing to I am willing to put my name on the magic of friendship theory and commit Okay, listeners, that. let's, let's, if you're going to put your name in the magic of friendship theory, listeners, let's uh, label this as a capital P prediction. Oh. And we're going to see if this plays out. Okay. Um, so I, I think, I think we should, I'm, I'm coming up with this literally on the spot. Okay. I love but it. But I think we should. I think we should introduce the Phantom Apprentice predictions or predict because obviously I know what happens uh, since mm-hmm. I have read these before. That is kind of the structure of this podcast. But I think, I think we should introduce Sammy's predictions, Sam's mm-hmm. predictions. <laughs> you are the eldest. You were on this earth six months before me, you and your infinite knowledge. It's literally three months. Three actually. months. Oh, n- see, you know more than me. <laughs> I don't know why I yeah, thought you were so, three months older than me. Yes, you're three months older. I think we should. Yes, I think we should introduce Sam's predictions. Okay. And will when you make a particularly interesting, poignant, 
uh, or can prediction with conviction like that, I think we should uh, take note of it. And if it comes up again in some form or other, I think we, we need to, we need to make note of that. Okay. Much like our, much like our laws of fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think, I think this is something that we can do. I like it. I like it. All right, listeners, you're going to, you're going to hold us to that. Um, so, uh, Sam prediction one is that Frodo and Sam have something special about them and it's probably the magic of friendship. <laughs> Sweet. Love it. Yes. And unless you have anything else to add to that, which I mean, you kind of can't really because of all of your special knowledge of secrets. Um, there is swinging back to after Tom's rescue. There's that scene and sort of two little things that I had noted from that. Please. So Tom shows up and he rescues everybody and it's great. And he says, so he goes to, you know, hunt down. Um, I've already forgotten how you pronounce it. Is it weights or whites? whites okay so he goes to hunt the barrow whites which he does in his cheerful tom bombadil way but also i'm going and singing this lovely song as i go to destroy these undead creatures because that's just the multitudes that tom contains as he's doing that the hobbits are talking about how they don't have their clothes anymore their stuff is just gone and tom says cast off these cold rags run naked on the grass while tom goes a hunting what bizarre advice but they go for it and seem to have a nice time and it seems like they have fun frolicking in the meadow and they seem refreshed after it but it was just so fucking funny to me that after this whole terrifying strange experience that they've had Tom's like, you know what you need to do is you need to go run naked on the grass right now. And because people do what Tom says, they just do it. And I loved it. I There's several points earlier where Tom is mentioned as just kind of like in the middle of his talks, getting up and dancing. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I think this is genuinely a way of healing for him. Mm-hmm. And he thinks like, and he's like, "This is gonna help you. Yeah. Go, enjoy, have fun." Yeah, and um, they do, and it was great. Yeah, and then so, and he gets he gets their ponies back. So we still have the horses. Yes, we still plus have the ponies. Bonus one plus his pony plus a bonus one plus plus Fatty Lumpkin. Yeah, I love um, Fatty Lumpkin. <laughs> That sounds like something you would name a cat. Like, this is Fatty Lumpkin. He's 13. All he eats is tuna sandwiches that you have to grill for him. Like, this is Fatty Lumpkin. You cannot name a kitten Fatty Lumpkin. You can only name a 13-year-old cat Fatty Lumpkin. And we also get our digging through the treasure and getting swords scene. Where have we seen that before? And uh, Dungeons and Dragons, that's where. <laughs> and also in The Hobbit, we've seen it lots of places. Um, but it's nice to see those parallels between uh, Bilbo and Frodo's journeys. And Tom finds a brooch that seems to belong to a dead friend. I don't know if we ever find out more about that. 
but it seems like he had some beloved person who died and it belonged to them and so he keeps it and is being sentimental about it i don't think it's necessarily someone he knew i think it's just that he is he is aware it belonged to some woman at one point and she must have been, and to his mind it is it is completely obvious that she was fair and wonderful and obviously now with goldberry wearing it we won't it, her memory will never die because mm-hmm. i don't i don't think necessarily tom was familiar with the men who were buried buried here the treasures that lay here mm-hmm. i think this is just on his face yeah it tom, like as we've sort of mentioned he does not care about the conflicts of of the mortals Right. So I don't think he was involved. I'd have to. Uh, confession time. I have not read a lot of supplementary Middle Earth material. I've read some of it. I've read Children of Hurin and I've read the Silmarillion, but there there remains a lot of other material written by Tolkien, um, both both J.R.R. and Christopher Tolkien. Uh, that I have not consumed. And so if there is more that deals specifically with the battles between the men of Westerness and uh, Karndum and the defeat of the Witch King of Angmar, I'm familiar with it, but I don't recall details. So I don't believe that Tom Bombadil was involved in that conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, like many other things you have explained today, makes sense. I, I like that interpretation a lot. That, I mean, that's the joy about rereading a book, right? Mm-hmm. Is you always have one interpretation and then you have the, the interpretation that is brought on by understanding the full story. But that's yeah. the joy about doing this, this form, right? is you are coming into this with all the newness that we want to see in in a story like this. Um, or that was a poorly phrased way of putting that. But I got, but the, I got the, the feeling in my heart. I understood. Listeners, I hope you did too, because I'm not going to try and go back and, and re-edit my own words. Um, Maybe editing Rin will chime in here with something. Who knows? <laughs> Probably not. But uh, you're you're looking at this with fresh eyes, and I'm looking at it with old and weary ones. My my perch of three months older than you. I also consider um, myself representation for people who just aren't the closest readers the first time through. Cause that's something when I listen to other podcasts where they talk about books, I'm just thinking, wow, they paid attention to so many details. They probably took such good notes. I'm so impressed. And I did very, I have a liberal arts degree. I did very well reading things, but if I'm just reading a book for fun, even paying slightly more attention to it, like I do for the show, I miss a lot of stuff. I read stuff wrong. I misinterpret things. And I want our listeners who also do that to feel seen. This is a realistic Fair. first pass. 
Right. I mean, this is why I listen to audiobooks so frequently because my eyes will just kind of glaze over text. Oh yeah, I love frequently. audiobooks, but Gloss I need the text to take notes and stuff for the show. But yeah, if I, I was both. consuming this just for myself, I would probably listen to the audio. Yeah. I think the fact that we are doing this in small chunks allows me to read a little more closely. And also I have the background knowledge. Anyway, not to get too much more into that, but we have, they, uh, Tom decides to escort them out of his lands, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think his full name is Thomas Bombadil? Or he's, is he just Tom? I, th I think that the name Tom Bombadil is one that occurred to him relatively recently in his personal history. I don't think that he, at the inception of the woods, was emerging as a consciousness going, ah, yes, Tom Bombadil, that's going to be my name. No, I think that's the sense that I get is that is a name he has given himself because he likes it. And so I think he has just named himself Tom. And I think I this think also is. supports our queerness. Not even theory, queerness fact. Oh yeah, Tom is queer, and as is Goldberry. They are both queer characters. Um, I, you know, I don't think a a spirit of the land can be inherently gendered. Mm -hmm. So you know, we refer to Tom as he and Goldberry as she, but they are not man and woman. They just are. And despite their differences from being humans you could go to a queer brunch and you could meet people and you could be yeah these are my friends tom bombadil and goldberry and you'd be like yeah that makes sense i mean they're definitely uh hippie-esque too yeah they're they're hippie-esque as well but like like you could you could definitely you could definitely meet these people at woodstock oh yeah um, sure. as well um and there actually is there's a parody of the Lord of the Rings in which the character of Tom Bombadil is uh, Tim Benzedrine <laughs> and his wife, Hashberry. Incredible. Yeah. So that's, that exists out there. Um, I have basically nothing else. I have one singular thing else. Do you have anything else you want to go over before I, uh, shout us out here i think my last thing is the same as your last thing probably which is that we're gonna go to the prancing pony and i don't know anything about it but it seems like it's gonna be fun because it's called the prancing pony and that's also a phrase that i have heard before so i am curious to see what happens there we will talk about the prancing pony next time um before we we do our outro i have to um confess that even though i am 20 awuga um years old <laughs> i have the mind of a 12 year old who lives in the gutter um and so my brain all day has been going tom bombadil tom bombadildo oh same big <laughs> same yeah and then immediately going i i don't know who would put a bomb in a dildo but that would hurt <laughs> Um, well, if you want to have an explosive orgasm, <laughs> <laughs> which and is with that. <laughs>
<laughs> which there is now my darling spouse is now in the room and they can't hear your half of the conversation so they just heard me say that <laughs> uh hi that'll, frog that'll be um, fun to explain in a minute <laughs> well with that dear listener uh that brings us to the end of this episode thank you for sticking around with us through it Next time we will talk about, I have a production schedule somewhere. If you, if you are reading along with the podcast, uh, next time our, our plan is to discuss chapters nine and 10 with at the sign of the prancing pony, uh, and Strider. Um, and possibly chapters 11 and 12, but I don't think we're going to get there next time, frankly. Uh, I think it is much better to do the next two chapters in a chunk. I trust your judgment. So at, this, at the sign of the Prancing Pony and Strider will be our next, our next episode. But you do not have to wait for our next episode to come out. If you want to hang out with us and hear our wonderful voices and see what kinds of weird filth and things that we can come up with, uh, you absolutely can do so by following us on social media. You can find us at FanAppPod, at Twitter, in, on Twitter and Instagram, and TikTok, provided that all of those platforms are still around. Uh, you can also send us an email at thefandomapprentice at gmail.com. Anything else to say, Sammy? No, I think that's about it. This was a roller coaster couple of chapters, and I'm probably still going to be having realizations about it for the next couple of days. And I'll text you and go, and another thing, and another thing. But it was and we good. can talk about those on the next episode of the podcast as part of our intro. Hell yeah. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, please subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts leave us a five-star review and uh talk us up to your friends word of mouth is the best way for small podcasts like us to spread if you enjoy what you're listening to uh please do all of those things and uh we'll see you next time thanks so much see you next time. bye y'all bye the phantom apprentice is produced and edited by rin and sam our music was composed and performed by James, and our art is by Casey Turgeon. This podcast is created for non-commercial entertainment purposes, and the opinions expressed therein are our own and are not reflective of the opinions of any other person or organization. The content discussed is the property of the Tolkien Estate and is used here under fair use. Music